Hi, I'm Rob Jepson, and my mission is to help sales leaders everywhere create record-setting growth in the companies they lead. I'm here to share the secrets of the world's most successful sales leaders. I don't care how big the company or how big the team, we showcase sales leaders that are taking what the market gives and then some. We feature leaders and teams that are beating their markets, winning at crazy rates, and doing it predictably and sustainably. The Sales Leadership Podcast is brought to you by Xvoyant, the one-on-one sales improvement platform that's transforming how high-growth sales leaders use Salesforce around the world. Did you know that only 13% of salespeople worldwide think they get helpful coaching from their sales leaders, but 83% of the leaders of these reps think they are awesome at coaching? Head to xvoyant.com for the world's largest sales leadership resource center. Discover best practices in sales leadership, common pitfalls to avoid, and learn how to become a legendary sales leader with every rep on your team. Exvoyant will help you move past focusing only on your number and is your partner to start building a dominant sales dynasty. The Exvoyant team will show you how your one-on-ones can drive purpose-driven activities in a way that will create new normals with every single rep on your team. If you don't have a plan on how you can help every rep on your team improve by at least 10%, Exvoyant can help you create a sales dynasty faster than you ever thought possible. Now, get ready for some serious insights from sales leaders that are making it happen. And remember, don't worry, we've got you. Hello and welcome to the Sales Leadership Podcast, where high-growth sales leaders share high-growth practices and tactics. Today, we are joined by Darren Tomey, Chief Revenue Officer of the Revenue Path Group. Darren has over 20 years of executive and sales leadership experience that have led companies through two IPOs and five exits to iconic companies like Salesforce and Oracle. Darren was recognized as one of the top 10 sales leaders by Sales Hacker earlier in 2019, and his book, which I cannot wait to get a hold of, Win Right Now, is is expected to be released in January of 2020. Darren is an expert in helping every member of his team maximize productivity, and I cannot wait to learn his blueprint on how he does that. Darren, I am so stoked to have you on our show. Welcome to our show, and thanks for joining us. Thank you, Rob. Appreciate it. Great introduction. Hey, man. Uh, honored to be here. Well, we're excited to have you. You you have a killer background. You're a sales leader, sales leader, and and uh, I, I, I'm excited to learn about your story. Why, why don't we start, man, by having you introduce our listeners to the Revenue Path Group? Sure, absolutely. So Revenue Path Group's... Um, we are, you know, we're not a marketing agency. We're not a sales training group. We focus on that, that spot in between where marketing drops off and it crosses over, passes over to sales. Um, you know, you can read all about, uh, you know, the buyer's journey and the changes and you got all the different stats. Some say it's 70%, some say 80%, others say it's in the sixties of how much time the buyer is actually completing the buyer's process before they pick up the phone and have a conversation with a salesperson or a company. And we kind of fill in that gap um, because marketing agencies, uh, you know, they're focused on leads. Sales training is focused on techniques and tactics. But if you're not leveraging the right sparks, the right sales, uh, sales prescriptions, then um, you know, you're get you're not differentiated. And uh, we believe that because of this huge change in the buyer's journey and that sales and marketing are still struggling to work, you know, together, um, that uh, it's really created what we call the three deadly C's, commoditization, uh, compressed selling time, and consensus decision-making. Um, you know, so uh, our belief is that uh, the biggest threat to a company or to the CEO is to become irrelevant in their buyer's eyes. And so we focus on uh, on, on helping to solve that for companies in the SaaS space, technology space. We have a lot of customers even in the services space, stuff like, you know, engineering firms, construction firms, architectural firms, et cetera. Um, and we work with a ton of VCs, a lot of venture capital firms and private equity groups. Um, cause, you know, let's face it, uh, you know, in the VC space, uh, 18, 18% or less of the portfolio companies and your average VC are hitting their revenue attainment, um, expectations. 
Um, and on the PE side, it's a little bit higher because those are different kinds of companies and it's a different investment style, but it's still, uh, you know, 25 to 30%. So massive uptick, massive opportunities out there. Um, and we're super proud to, to, you bring to market what we've got so far and, and we've had outstanding results. Wow. I didn't know that. You just dropped a stat on me. I, I always feel like I know what's going on and now I'm feeling super uninformed. 18% are hitting target that are vegetable. Yeah. Yeah, in the VC space, it's yeah, 18% is the average. Um, I was I was blown away too. You know, I, I've worked with a lot of VCs, um, you know, at, directly and indirectly. You know, I've been in companies like you mentioned. You know, that have had you know phenomenal success, and we've went through IPOs and we've had exits, and and every one of those had some VC funding of of one form or the other. And and honestly, you know, Rob, I was I was shocked to find out. That, you know, we were like, you know, in their eyes, uh, you know, the unicorn of their, of their, uh, of their portfolio because we were crushing it. And, and, you know, if there was 10 of us, two of us were doing great and eight of us were, were sucking. And, you know, it's Rob, we, we've both been sales leaders forever. It's that 80 20 rule, right? Right. It's the, same, it's the same thing for the VCs and the PEs. You know, if, if they, if, if they, let's use a 20%, let's say it's 20% of, of their portfolios, knocking it out of the park. Well, guess where 80% of their time at the VC is spent? It's with those 20. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And uh, it's, it's a classic case. I mean, you, you know, we've, we've both been sales leaders. You've got a phenomenal platform, uh, you know, for, for coaching and stuff. And and really, I, I was I was with a VC yesterday, um, a pretty big one. And and I, and I asked uh, the managing director, I said, so what are you doing to help those, that 80%? Yeah, that that's are, the that big question, anymore. right? Yeah. And, and, uh, and he was just like, you know, we, we, we really don't. And I, so I, I look at RPG almost like it's a, uh, an insurance policy, right? Cause VCs are expected to get a certain multiple off of their investments. They've got institutional investors, you know, large private investors who have, you know, millions of dollars tied up into these funds and they're expected to get a certain return. And, uh, yeah, I, I just I think there's a uh, there's there's a big gap there, and and we've we've recently really uh, started going down that path with the VCs and private equity firms, and it's been phenomenal. I mean, they, that's they, super cool. I didn't realize that, and it makes tons of sense because right. a lot of them will like some of them will will have like a growth partner that's yeah. supposed to be a person that goes out and helps them build process, et cetera. But what you're saying is you're you've got you're basically an outsourced partner like that. That's been there, done that with a lot of people and stay current. And, and you're yeah. not someone that's a has been, you're, uh, uh, you're someone that is doing it and helping these funded companies get to revenue faster. Totally. Because I mean, let's face it, right. Uh, the, the VCs, they're making an investment based on, uh, you know, revenue targets, right? So they, they go in and they do their operational, you know, they do their due diligence. They come in and run operational due diligence and finance due diligence and even technology due diligence. But what I'm, what I've found is that on the sales and marketing side, there's not a lot, there's not a lot of due diligence that happens. They look at the numbers, they look at the trends, they run trend analysis and they buy in to, uh, you know, to, to the goals. Well, once you take on money, Goals become yeah. expectations. That's yeah. what I always say, right? And, and you've been there. It's, uh, yeah. you know, well, I know that we said that we were going to hit $5 million. We were going to double our revenue, <clears> you know, in the next, you know, 18 months or 12 months. And we came in at, you know, uh, 4.8. That's awesome. And they're like, yeah, but that doesn't meet the expectation. Okay. Well, right. You know, so, uh, it's, it's a different game. The other, the other thing that I found to be really interesting and, and this came out this week, I was up in Chicago, um, uh, for the Salesforce Connections Conference and, and also meeting with customers and, and, and prospects and, and a couple of VCs. And I was in a meeting on Monday afternoon with a VC and, uh, you'll, you'll love this, Rob, because he's like, you know, they had 20, 30 companies in their portfolio and he goes, well, you know, I've got a several, there's, there's several opportunities that, that I see immediate need for. And I said, great, you know, but how many, how many of your CEOs or the, or their CROs or the head of sales do you feel like would raise their hand yeah, and come and say, I need help. We're, we're really struggling, right? I mean, you're the venture, you're, you're the fund. So you're, you're where their paychecks at this point in time come from. And, uh, and he started laughing. So 
it's it's a it's a it's a tough spot. Um, but but I think you know we're it's a tough spot for them for the VC because they don't want to come in heavy handed, but at the same time they need to be um, resource focused and um, and we're starting to see more and more of that. You know, people like OpenView um, Partners, OpenView Venture Partners up in Boston. You know, they've created the lab. Um, and we're seeing more and more of that, and we fit tremendously well there with uh, you know Devin McDonald and and Scott uh, Maxwell and the whole team, and we're seeing we're seeing that kind of application get put towards RPG because uh, you know every one of the VCs has you know their their technology expert or whatever who goes and looks at the stack and says this is good, this is bad, right? Kind of investment you're going to have to make, you know, capital investments, et cetera. But they don't really have that for sales and marketing. Or, and if they have a growth partner, I'm thinking of my dear friend, Doug Landis of Emergence Capital. Yeah. Um, they have, he can only spend so much time with each uh, portfolio uh, company. Totally true. Yeah. We have, we, have, we, uh, I, I, I don't know Doug. I've, I've, uh, I would love to meet Doug. Um, but, uh, Emergence is someone who's high on my radar. Uh, but, you know, we have a private equity group, uh, that, that we do business that, that, we have four of their seven. They only have seven companies in their private equity, but their operating partner is a guy named Jeff Tobin. Uh, the private equity group is uh, Mill Pond out of Boca, Boca Raton, Florida, and they're phenomenal. They're awesome. They're uh, super great to work with. And Jeff, uh, Jeff has said multiple times that uh, you know he is the operating partner, so he's the guy who's out there uh, in the weeds, rolling up his sleeves, you know, helping them figure out strategy, process, etc. But that's where it stops, right? And so then he leaves. It's kind of like, you know, bringing in a consultant who comes in and says, okay, here's what you should do now. Go do it. They leave. And then everyone goes back and does their job. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I get it, dude. I love, I get Revenue Path. I think our listeners get it. I want to make sure we have enough time to get yeah. into what you do, but I still want to take, so let's just very high level, very quickly. Your individual story is an interesting one on, on how you ended up doing what you're doing now. Can you give us just the, the quick yeah. high level on what led you there? Because I think it's important for our listeners to hear that. So your tactics that we talk about will make even more sense. Yeah, definitely. So yeah, I was, I was born into a family that, you know, we, we were never wealthy, but, um, we, you know, my father was an entrepreneur. He was in the aftermarket automotive field. So you think about like advanced auto parts and places like that. Um, and, you know, through time, um, you know, from the, from the age of six or seven, I was literally working in the stores. I was, you know, stocking shelves. I was talking to customers. I was working the parts counter and he had taught me how to look up. So I, very early on, you know, I got taught many lessons. Um, but probably the one, uh, that, that stood out that still stands out today more than anything is, is, was my father's work ethic. And, um, you know, one of, one of the, you know, there's always mottos and, and mine, one of mine that I've always lived by is, you know, hard work beats, you know, talent every time. Um, I wasn't, I wasn't a well educated person, but I've busted my ass. And I've outworked a Amen. lot, of people, you know, um, I went to 11 different schools growing up because my father being an entrepreneur, every time he would go and open a new location, we would have to go and move to where that location was. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I was forced to, to develop people skills. Right. And, you know, that, that allowed me to make friends quickly. And, you know, as a, as a decent, I was a good athlete. Um, uh, and so that, that helped. Um, I started my first, you know, I, I kind of, you know, out of school, out of, I played uh, baseball in the, the minor leagues with the Pittsburgh Pirates straight out of high school. Nice. And, um, yeah, and then, you know, I went I went into corporate America and, and uh, was with GNC, right, uh, Vitamin Health Food Stores in 93, yeah. 94. In six years' period of time, became a, the youngest vice president in, in the history of GNC. But I, I was I, – I started getting that technology itch because, Rob, they gave me a laptop. Right. And I thought this is the coolest thing in the world. And, um, and so I kind of got the itch there and and I left because, you know, I was working 70 plus 80, you know, 70 plus hours a week, busting my ass covering, you know, everything from Chicago to to Dallas. I had 1700 retail locations and and all those teams and I loved it. Um, but at the same time, you know, I was, I was for the amount of time and energy and effort that I was putting in, I wasn't making great money. Um, as a, you know, 20, 26 year old, I was, I probably felt like I was rich, but, uh, um, but I, I just knew there was bigger and better things. And, and I kind of got that technology taste. And so 2001, 
I started my first company on my own. Um, and it was called Dream 3, which was uh, an interesting play, right? Uh, everything has an acronym. Uh, this was digital resources, empower all members, missions, uh, every all ministries, members, and missions, right? So um, <laughs> it was all about, you know, the Christian faith. And, okay. uh, and it was cool. Um, uh, you know, it was a very disconnected world. And so I, my, my mission there was really to help drive connectivity between members, uh, their ministries and, and missions cool. globally. Okay. And, and we did great, you know, grew up from start to, you know, grew up to 62 employees and, you know, had over 3,500 paying customers. Um, the Assemblies of God, um, was, wow. was our largest customer. We had, you know, over 2,000 of their their ministries and 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 churches and and uh, um, state state agencies, et cetera, were all using it. And I ended up selling uh, the company in 2004. And really, you know that 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 was my taste. You know that's where I got the taste for it. Um, and then I met Scott Dorsey, who was the founder and uh, co-founder and CEO at Exact Target, sitting at a whiteboard doing a a, a brain dump, a thought thought a brain. A, kind of a brain dump session working with the Indianapolis Colts. Um, and he, you know, he says, Hey, I heard you sold your company. Congratulations. What are you going to do? And I said, I'm going to start doing some consulting. I got to figure out what I want to do when I grow up. And uh, he laughed and handed me his card and said, well, come and see me. And I, and I didn't know who he was. I and no as they say, the rest is history. And yeah. And so from there, man, it was just, you know, like, like in the intro, you know, I, Two IPOs, five exits. You know, it's been uh, it's been it's amazing 15 run. Fifteen years of really tremendous success, and and you know, you say where do you get your start? And I, I go back and I look at my father every single day. You know, and and you know, I would not be where I was where I am today without the work ethic that he uh, you know that. instilled into you know my brother and I both. I relate to that on so many levels, and I really appreciate you sharing it. Um, that, that's an awesome setup, and so I want to make sure we get into it now. Mm-hmm. There's a ton of things that we could go into, and you know, I, I, I got a lot of things that I want to cover, so we're going to move quick. Yeah. But one of the things that I really like about you is I've gotten to know you a little bit and, and your background, and now it's even more clear with what you do is you help bust that 18% barrier that, mm-hmm. that, you know, that, that we're facing. You're really good at helping individual, you know, maximize what you get out of individuals. And I've learned as a leader, Darren, that it's a delicate balance when you try to get more out of people. You don't want to be the drill sergeant. No one wants to feel micromanaged. How do you get more out of people? How do you drive productivity without people feeling micromanaged, but instead having them feel inspired? Yeah, it's great. Uh... There's a, a gentleman named uh, uh, Dwayne Poole. Um, he was our, our VP of sales operations at Exact Target. And, you know, going back to two, late 2004, early 2005, um, he, he really, what, what he would do, what, what Dwayne did and I adopted and I've obviously evolved it since then was um, on an individual basis. First and foremost, everyone is an individual. They, they have different motivation goals and stuff. I, I try to, you know, get into the individual's head and understand what is it they're looking to achieve? What is their end game? And then you have to create a plan around it. So my focus is like, I'm not a guy who cares about how many calls or how many emails or you know, that stuff. I'm looking at productivity matrix or metrics. And, you know, what I care about is, you know, in order to hit your number, right? Not my number, but your number to achieve the things that you want to achieve in your life as an individual, let's work backwards. Right. And so we'll understand, you know, what, whatever the average contract value is, this means this, how many closes you have to have. This is how, you know, this is your, your individual win rate. This is how many deals you have to have, you know, in, in the later stages, right. Proposal and plan negotiations. And I just work backwards with everyone and I put together really their, their, their account plan, if you will. But my focus is, on productivity. So where, where my measures are more focused is, you know, meetings, right? Cause meetings are productivity, they're action oriented. Um, and so while I, you know, the meetings are, are like the, my leading indicator, right? So if someone is, is, is not meeting, uh, or, or is shy of their number, the first thing I'm looking back at is how many meetings have they had in the last 45, 60 days, whatever it is. And then, and then working with them to get those. If that continues to fall, then obviously I do track, you know, the activity side because 
Scott Lazinski, who's like my, my, my mentor, um, and he has been for a long time. Um, he, he always said, inspect what you expect, right? You have to totally. have the data to inspect what you expect, but you, you don't micromanage. If, if we're hiring professional salespeople, we should not have to say, you need to be placing, you know, uh, you know, 40, 40 calls per day and you need to be sending out 120 emails. Like we shouldn't have to do that if we're hiring the right people, training the right people the right way and coaching them to show them what success is. If they're not motivated enough to do it on their own, then I probably, they're not going to make it on my team. So you say two things that I want to dive into. And so this is happening. It happens on every freaking show. We start going into places. I love what you said. Two things jumped to my mind. The first one is, so I get what you're saying. The inspect what you expect is a, is a phrase that's been around, and I love that your mentor's giving it with you. But no rep wakes up in the morning wanting to be inspected. Fair to say? Nope. Totally agree. And so you found a way to, yes, have that inspect what you expect, but you've tied into their personal aspirations, which yeah. as a leader I think is the is that thing you got to be able to do. But that's easy to say and hard to do because – Salespeople have to think you're authentic, that what you really are doing is trying to help them hit their aspirations rather than just get what you need to get out of them. Totally agree. Any any advice you can give our leaders on how you build that kind of a relationship where they really think you're authentic in that regard? Well, there's a couple of things, right? Um, if they're single, <laughs> it's really about them. If they have a family, it's about their family. Right. So in other words, if uh, if if I'm working with, uh, you know, someone on my team and they're, you know, 26 years old, they're single, uh, it's a male, you know, they're looking for something that's of, of tangible in nature. Right. So, you know, we'll we'll determine what that is. Is it a Rolex? Is it a tag? Is it a new car? You know, or, you can or send me any of those three and we'll be we'll be great friends. Exactly. Just like. Right. And so what, what I, I literally will find out what that is. And what the gap is between where they're at today financially and where they need to be in order to afford that new car. And then we build that into their plan, right? So my number is my number, but their number is usually becomes a lot higher than mine. Does that make sense? It totally makes sense. And what and that so is. By doing that, you know, I will literally go and like put a watch. If it's a tag, you know, I'll go and find like a generic looking tag and say, here it is. It's on your desk every day. You're looking at this, or we'll set it as their their uh, screensaver, right, or their desktop background. Like literally, drive it home every single day because this is what they said they want, not what I want. This is what they said is their 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 uh, their definition of success. Now it could be you know a family. It could be a person you know that's you know married and has a has a couple kids, right? And they they you know, a new family and they, they want to get into a new house, but they don't have the income to do so today. Okay, great. So what's that gap? Yep. Right. And let's work together to make that gap. And, and I'll tell you, Rob, uh, the best, the, the thing that I've seen, uh, really drive that the best is to include the spouse. <laughs> hmm. You want to talk about getting grilled, right? You want to talk about, you know, for a forecast review. I think you called it, you know, earlier in our discussion uh, before we got into the, the dirty Harry. Yeah. Effect. Um, yeah, yeah. yeah. Have, have the spouse know what the goals are and what the dollars are and how many closes they need to get to in order before she, they can get into that new home. Yeah. So I, I love it because what you're doing, you're describing a way to individualize, which I believe doesn't happen often enough in leadership and coaching that you actually are tapping into the individual needs, goals, wants, but maybe more important than that, you got to know that for sure. You're creating an individual approach to get there. There's different pathways to the top of the mountain. Some go straight up and some need switchbacks, right? That's totally correct. And so any, any, I mean, I love how you said you reverse engineer. You talked about reverse engineering the metrics and that's the right use of metrics. I love that approach. Any any kind of uh, tips you'd give our listeners on maybe a couple things to be sure to do so you can build that relationship and maybe a pitfall that you might want to watch out for that you don't fall into that can blow the whole thing up? I mean, you know, the thing that where I've always had the most success in this is you're getting the buy-in of 
the individual. And you're, you're correct. It is not a team thing. This is a one-on-one exercise that you run with every individual. And if you have more individuals, you know, if you have, you know, uh, line, you know, middle, middle managers, then guess what? You, you're doing this exercise with the middle manager, but you're expecting them and asking them to run that same exercise with every, you know, if they're, if they're managing a team of, you know, eight people, then, uh, they're running that same exercise. And, uh, we as a, we as a team collectively all have our individual, you know, needs, wants, goals. Um, and we as a team collectively, uh, are chasing those. We're working towards those and we want every individual to get their own. Um, because if they all get their own, we all win. Um, so the, the, the pitfall that you run into is, uh, you know, Sometimes success, uh, is, is, is challenging for people. Um, they, uh, they, when they get a little bit of success, they kind of get, um, uh, complacent. I, guess I that love say. that, Darren. I totally agree. Why so, you know, they, they, they'll, they'll nail a quarter yeah. and then all of a sudden they'll, they'll, pardon the French, but they'll suck for two. And why is that? It's because they had a routine. They were, they were bought into this plan and they were crushing it and they were super happy. And they were like in that honeymoon phase, right? Where you go, this is easy. And then you go, yeah, you know, and then you take that second step and you go, man, you know, this is really challenging, but you know, here I just, you know, a month ago, I just met with Darren and I just met with, you know, with Rob and, and we all agreed we're going to do this. So I got to push forward because I got to get that car. I got to get that watch. And they go through. And next thing you know, you know, two, two and a half, three months in, they're crushing their number and they become. And so now it's like, well, this is a routine. This is easy. And then the start of this, the next quarter comes and, and they get a little complacent, right? Because they get distracted, right? The next big shiny object. And so it's really coaching. Coaching to those plans, I think, that's my opinion. Coaching to the plan is the only way to ensure success across the team. And I love that, dude. And I'm telling you, I've seen that happen over and over again. I have a killer quarter, Hmm. but then I like, I feel like instead of taking a deep breath and hitting it hard again, I take two deep breaths. And that second deep breath is that complacency you talked about. And I think sometimes you have to learn the hard way that if you have a light week, all of a sudden what that means is at the end of your sales cycle, like if it's a 90-day sales cycle, 90 days from now, you're going to pay for that week. Totally. Totally. I, I mean, I, I, I look at it as a day. You know, it's like. Yeah, that's right. I agree. I, I really do. I mean, you the know. value of a day. I love it. it. It really is. I mean, you know, if if I've got, you know, and I'm a meticulous person about calendaring. And so I, you know. <laughs> I have blocked out on my calendar, you know, every single day I've got prospecting time blocked out. And you know what? I, I protect that time. I protect it. That is, that is a, it's part of being disciplined. And I, you know, I'll tell people, no, I'm sorry. I, I'm busy. It's, I could easily, Rob, I could easily say, oh, well, you know, what? I'd rather talk to, you know, whoever it is, right? Or I'm sorry. This is, that's my time. That's my prospecting time. And I know that it's the right time because I've done my analysis. I've done my research. I know when my ICP or my ideal customer, you know, uh, personas, when they're available and when they're not. And so if I, for whatever reason, say, yes, those calls are going to affect me two more weeks down the road because I don't have my meetings, enough meetings that I need to have in order to hit my number you know, three or four months later. And what I love is you're the chief revenue officer and you're talking about doing your personal part of the prospecting part still. Absolutely. I'm telling you, that's a great lesson for everyone to hear. I love it because I do the same thing. I, you know, our company's growing and we're, and we're doing pretty cool things, but I still try to prospect and, and I hand those things over to guys of our sales team um, because I want to say, I believe that part of my role is to continue to help not just grow the company, but demonstrate that I can still do the job. 100% agree. 
So let's talk about that. Let's shift the role for a second. I, I, I love the concept of role. I actually don't talk about this enough on the podcast, but you've inspired me right now, Darren. I'm fired up. I'm going to my, you, you've taken me to my, my personal blueprint. What do you think the primary role of a sales leader is? Uh, I mean, they, they have to lead, right? I mean, they action over words, right? It's it, everyone can, everyone can sit behind their desk and look at reports. And, and I'm not that guy. I am not that guy. I am the person who I want to be on the front. I want to be in the field. I want to be, you know, co-piloting and, and actively coaching side by side, uh, with my team. Um, and I think that that is ultimately, you know, the, the, the ultimate goal or the ultimate responsibility of a CRO is the success of the team. Um, you know, they have to have a plan. They, they have to be willing to fail, but if you're going to fail, you got to fail fast. Oh, um, like you have to prioritize your time, you know, um, your own, but also your team. You have to be a, you know, a steward, if you will. You know, I'm a steward of my team. I will, I will block people from having access. Um, you know, if, if there, if there's no value. In other words, you know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of companies, you have a lot of internal meetings. And if there's no value to that meeting, it's taken away time, you know, that, that my, that the, the, the revenue team should be focused on doing exactly what they should. And, you know, I block it. You know, I'm sorry. You know, we don't have time. We, we have a number this company's, that this team's responsible for. We have to do it. Um, the other piece of it too is, um, you know, I mentioned action over words, but you always have to be developing. You know, as a, as a CRO, you're, you've always got to be researching. You've always got to be listening. Um, I'm constantly reading all the time. Um, you know, whether it's books or it's articles or listening to podcasts, um, you know, I, I'm always trying to, uh, find new ways, new, new, uh, new, I don't want to say new tactics or anything because I think it, there's more to it than that. I think it's it's more about the strategic approach than it is the individual tactics. Um, and so I'm constantly reading, you know, stuff like that. Um, and so that's why I say always be developing, but developing not just myself and and my approach, but developing my my managers and my my AE. So I, I'm a big guy on role playing. I'm a big person on that because I feel like. Uh, you know, there's just so much value. And it's one of those things that's easy to get pushed aside. You know, going back to prioritizing time, yep. not, not just my time, but my team's time. Huge fan of, of role playing because, uh, I think it's one of those things that, uh, you know, the, the, the better you can present in front of your peers, the, the you know, uh, the better you're going to be in front of strangers. So, uh, you know, there's no harder audience on, on, on a presentation than A, your own or B, your peers. Yeah. See, I, I, I love that. So here's my next question then as it relates to role, because you've talked about some things that take time. You've talked about time blocking. You've, mm-hmm. you, you've talked about one of, uh, some really important topics. What would you say to the sales leaders that are listening to this show right now? Because there's a lot of them. Some of them are going to be saying, man, I'd love to have individualized stuff like that, but I'd love to be a co-pilot of their success. Like you just said, man, but I just don't have time. I'm just too busy. What would you say to a sales? Because you've probably heard that from sales leaders say, "Man, I just don't have time for this." What do you say when you hear that? Hmm. It's a great one. Uh, I mean, it's, and it's a it's a it's a terrible excuse. Um, that's the reality. Because um, I look at it as a role problem. That means you, totally if you don't have time for that, that tells me you got the wrong role in your mind. Is what the role of a sales leader is, right? I totally agree, Rob. Because that's why you know. I would, I would challenge them and say, okay, well, let's look at your daily plan. First off, they probably don't have a plan. They're probably flying by the seat of their pants. A hundred percent. Secondly, you know, they, they are not prioritizing their time because they, they, they want to participate in, in things that are not revenue focused or they're getting sucked in <laughs> to things that are not revenue focused. And so every time I get a meeting invite and I, I know Rob, you're probably the same way. I have to ask myself, does this get me, does this move me forward towards my goal or not? And if it's not a yes, then I can't do it. 
See, this that's really good advice, and I want to sit on this for a second, Darren, because I, I think that this is super important. I think for a sales leader, how you manage time, for any job, how you manage time, I mean, that supplies everyone, but as a sales leader, we are pulled in so many directions. And I, I have always said that the role of a, of a sales leader is to develop salespeople. That's your job is to develop. And so if you're not time blocking development time, and that means not only your people, you got to be developing yourself so you can continue to be able to take your team wherever the market's going. So I love what you said, make sure you're staying current, but I think if you're not time blocking, I love that that's a tactic of yours for a role clear to, to stay on roll. Make sure you're time blocking. Uh, I think it almost is that simple, isn't it? Just make sure that you block the right things and you can do whatever you need to do. Yeah. You got to be willing to say no. Mm. That's what it comes down to. You know, if you have to be willing to say no, but you got to do it in a manner where you're not upsetting your peers in the company, right? Um, you know, there's a, there's a lot of different ways you can determine how successful you are as a sales leader for me. Um, you know, the, the top two, probably the, the number one for me is, you know, do I have members of my team who are getting promoted, right? Um, internally, or they could be getting poached externally, right? Like but that. the, the, the goal of a, of a leader is to develop, right? I'm not here managing. I, I, there's, there was a thing on Facebook and I know I probably, or not Facebook on LinkedIn, I probably pissed a lot of people off, but they were asking a question, you know, like, is around that the role of a, a manager or a leader. And, and, uh, and I just said, you know, managers manage activities, leaders develop people. And, um, and that's how I look at it. You know, and, and I, I literally tell people, if you want, if you, know, if you want someone to hold your hand and babysit you, this is, you don't want to work with me because I won't do it. I refuse. Um, so you know, going back to that, that success, right? The success for me, my, my number one, uh, my number one indicator of success is do I have people from within my org who are getting promoted either internally or who are being poached for uh, advancement or leadership position someplace else? I am going to celebrate that person who gets the promotion internally, but I will promote, I, you know, I will celebrate the other just as much equally because it's about the development of them. And, and their skills and their capabilities, because if we can do that, then we're, 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 we're developing, uh, the right net set of sales leaders. Um, go ahead. Finish. No, you finish. I'm sorry for cutting you off. The only other thing is, you know, I, I, I look at, I look at the happiness, right? And I, not happy, right? Happy is such a weird word, but you know, is my team eager? to be, to come to work or is it a job? In other words, do, do they come in? Are they passionate? Are they having fun? Are they, is it a light environment or is it something where, you know, people come in, put their headphones on, they make their calls and they leave, you know, do they stay? Do they come in early? Do they stay late? So I'm glad you brought this up because I was going to have this be the next place we went anyway. You've given me two answers before I even asked the question, but I want to frame it so we can look at it. And I want our leader, I mean, our listeners to think about it this way. One of my favorite things to ask guys like you is other than scoreboard, because we all sign up for the scoreboard. We know we got to hit our number. That's, that's, that's a non, we just know that. That's why we're sales leaders. How do you know when you're having an impact as a sales leader? You've just given me two. Yeah. Are they getting promoted and then, I like that happy factor. Like, what's up? I mean, it's one of those things. It's like, it reminds me, it reminds me of what the senator said about pornography. When I said, what's the definition of pornography? He said, I can't tell you what it is, but I know it when I see it. <laughs> and and um, same thing with the happy factor. It might be hard to tell you what it is, but I know it when I see it. Yeah. Um, I, those are two really good answers that I don't think any of our other guests have ever given us. Um because ultimately, I love that happy factor. You got to be that guy that built that great culture. And if you've got what I call Fred Flintstone syndrome, where five o'clock hits and it's yabba dabba do, and everyone slides down the dinosaur tail and off they go, right? You built a shitty culture, right? Totally agreed. Yeah, and that's that is the that that is the happy factor. You know, it's like I said. You know, I, I love it when people when when I show up to the office. Uh, or, you know, with a remote team, I, I log into, you know, Slack or Skype or whatever the hell we're using. And there's already people 
you know, at seven o'clock at seven thirty who are logged in and they're busting ass. And I see stuff, you know, through the CRM where they're already, you know, got a lot of things going on or they're, they're pinging me as soon as they see me coming on saying, I've got these meetings today. Can you help me with some prep time? Are you available right now? And it's outside of their hours. That's, that to me tells me that person is not just happy, but they're passionate. They want, they're passionate for their own individual success as much as they are for, you know, for the team, obviously. Okay. So that's another thing you just brought up is passion. We're starting to run low on time, but I want to hit that and then we'll start to wrap up the way that we always hit. How do you, how do you tap into that passion that people have? How do you, how do you fuel that? Um, that's a pretty common thing that people like to talk about, but I found that that's one of those things that is easy to talk about, but harder to do. Right. And, and as I've gotten to learn more about what you've done, you're pretty good at doing that. Any tips on how you fuel that? I mean, it, it comes down to that individual, right? So okay. it, it, again, it, it's kind of like that, the, the, the coaching of, you know, how do you get to your number or not to your number and stuff like that. You have to tap into what is most important to them. Um, and, and that in and of itself should drive some passion. Um, but at the same time, like what I, what, when I talk about passion, uh, I, I talk about people who, who wake up every day and they're eager. They want to be there. Um, I talk about, you know, I'm passionate uh, about a lot of things. I'm, I'm a, I'm passionate about the success of my team. Um, I'm passionate about the success of my kids. I'm a, I'm a, by nature, a passionate person. And I think that you have to look at that in your interviewing process, right? So, um, it, it's one of those, those things that, that I believe you can identify whether someone is there for a job or they're there because they've, they're passionate about the cause, the why you of your company. And if they're not, um, then are they ever really going to reach their full potential? So I think you're dead on. I, I love that. I, the, that whole passion quotient is one of my favorite things to dig into. Uh, I appreciate you pulling that up and sharing that as another thing to look for, because you're right. If you hire for people of passion, they aren't just passionate at work. They're passionate in every part of their life is what I found. Have you yeah. seen similar things or do you see it differently? No, I totally agree. hundred percent. And, you know, in the interview process, I, you know, I, there's a couple of questions I always like to ask if they get far enough along in the interview process. I'm also a person, <laughs> again, time blocking. I will absolutely uh, shut down uh, an interview uh, very quickly, um, fail fast. Right. Um, yep. uh, and, and uh, so I do the same thing with prospects. You know, I'm sorry. You know, we don't share the same beliefs. Let's, let's just go the other way before we spend any more time together. So, um, but you know, if, if I'm in an interview, uh, you know, one of the things that, that I love to ask when I get to a certain point, it's usually towards the end of the interview is I love to ask the question, tell me about something you know a lot about and explain it to me in three minutes or less. Um, that's killer. See, now you're, you, you just keep taking me through the, the whole, the whole, uh, structure that we wanted to talk about. That's, that, that's one of the rapid fire questions that we always ask at the end is what's your favorite interview question? So we'll skip that one on the rapid fire. No one has given us that answer before. Yeah. Something that you, that you're passionate about that you can tell me about in three minutes or less. Right. And, and think about that, Rob. You know, one of the things you're looking to do is to understand it. I, I don't care if they want to talk to me about baseball. I don't care. I want to see on the spot how fast can they talk about something in three minutes or less, break it down from this complex 30-minute chat to three minutes in a systematic way. That fires you up, by the way, right? That that makes me go, damn, I want to learn more about that. Yeah. I didn't know that. Tell me more. I love it. Because that's what they have to be able to do in in sales. (laughs) 
That's a killer answer to what I think. Like, by the way, just so you know, that that's a question that our listeners asked me to start asking on here is, hey, Rob, will you ask the guests what their favorite interview question is? Yeah. We're going to end up making a, 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 an ebook around, you know, the, the sales leader's best uh, interview questions. And this one that you just shared will absolutely make that book. That's a great one. I love that because you're now getting a lot of things. You're going to find out if their passion people or not. You're also yeah. going to learn a lot about their communication skills. Um, there's a, so many things that you gain from that, that question as I just sit there and process it. I agree. I love it. I mean, like I said, it's, it's like my go-to, but it's, it, it's the pass or fail for me. <laughs> it's a right. one or a zero, man. So, yeah. hey, so everybody that's going to go apply uh, <laughs> or either Revenue Path Group or, or any of the companies that they're working with where you're helping with the interview process, be ready for that one, guys. <laughs> yeah. So, so let's go to the first one. We're now you, – you've, you've thrown me into the rapid-fire part of the interview, Darren. Right. And so that was question two. I'm going to – we're going to uh, – we're going to back it up a second, go back to question one now. I can't wait to hear your answer to this one because I'm so like, I just love your approach to what you do. Uh, the toughest leadership challenge you face, how do you face that down? So for me, like yeah. what was my toughest one? Yeah. So yeah, great one. Either, either uh, the first, your toughest one that you've seen or just the most common one that you see for, I don't care how you look at it, either your personal toughest leadership challenge or the one that you see most commonly, I, I don't care. I know your perspective will be interesting. Yeah, no, I mean, you know, the, so, so the toughest is when, you know, you get brought in to, um, into a really bad situation and you have a very short window to prove your value, right? Because, uh, define a short window for our listeners. Def, uh, like, I mean, I've been put into those scenarios where I had three months or less. I've been put three into months. Yeah. Which, which is like an unrealistic, right? Dang. But, yeah. Run from that, like, brother. Run oh, from that. So, yeah. But you know, most of the time, you know, you get, you get 12 or 18 months and, okay. and, um, you know, there's, there was one time, um, back in 2012, a, a VC, um, brought me into one of their portfolio companies. They were four years into their investment. Um, this company uh, had went through three CEOs, uh, probably eight VPs, you know, eight heads of sales. They were losing $300,000 a month, right? So absolutely just bleeding capital. Um, the VC basically said, go in and make it right. You know, make it right, 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 right the ship. Um, but we need to, we need to sell. We need to position for an exit in 18 months. And so, um, you know, went in. Ran, you know, went through, you know, analysis, you know, looked at how they were spending the money, where they were spending the money, all the different variables you can imagine. And, um, uh, in about, it was in under 12 months, I was able to go in, uh, and, and we as a company, you know, we, uh, we, we, we trimmed our operating expense. I say trim Rob with a, with a grin. We, we trimmed it by 61%. Um, and, uh, and we grew the company by another 28. So it was this massive turn, um, made the company profitable. Uh, and the VC, you know, was able to sell, you know, sold the company off for 14 months after, you know, I came in for a multiple that was actually, um, quite, quite, uh, beyond what they ever expected they were going to. That was just a tough challenge. Add to it that, you know, I live in Indianapolis. This company was, had offices in Boston, Copenhagen, and London. And I had to shut down offices in Copenhagen and London. Um, while (laughs) running, you know, running the, the business. Uh, so it was, it was, that was, that's to date has been, uh, my single greatest challenge. And, and I'm guessing that a key part of that was, you know, shutting things down while keeping the people there, eye on the ball and not looking around saying who's next, but saying. It was so hard. It was so hard. And, and I'll tell you, the only way that, uh, that I was able to do that, I, I believe, you know, looking back, how was I able to do I mean, I still have phenomenal relationships with a lot of the employees who worked with me through that. Um, and it was about being transparent. Yeah. Transparency. Okay. Love it. Had to be transparent. All right. Last one on the rapid fire, man. You've already alluded to this one too. I mean, you, you just, you and I are like, we think so similar. It's kind of scary. 
Um, actually for me, I have a high self, uh, self esteem. So I guess that's a, that's a compliment. Um, Thank you. <laughs> um, uh, leaders are readers, man. The great ones do what you said. They're always learning. I don't care if it's turning pages or listening to audibles or podcasts, blogs, you know, what are the things, you know, maybe one or two things that you would really recommend to our listeners that if they want to be a great sales leader, they ought to be putting in their head right now. So, so there's a couple of books that uh, there's, uh, like I said, I'm an avid reader. I listen to stuff. I love, I love to always be learning. Right. Um, always developing. Uh, but depending on where you're at, like they, everyone knows the, the, the challenger sale, but there was actually a book called the challenger customer also written by, uh, Brett Adamson and, and Matt Dixon. And it never got the publicity that the challenger sale did. Um, but it is a perfect marriage right to the challenger sale. So if you're a person who believes in the challenger sale or you, you were, you, you got nuggets. Cause I, I, I don't believe the challenger sale works in every scenario, just like I don't believe Sandler nope. does or Miller Hyman or anything else. I think it's a hybrid of a lot of different uh, pieces and, and you have to customize what that looks like for the right opportunity in the right company. Um, Cause they're, they're all different, but the, the challenger customer uh, is right. one that I would highly recommend. It's phenomenal. The, the second one, and this is totally out of left field. Um, there's a gentleman named, uh, Rob, you may know him, uh, Nathan Ladka. I don't know him. No, okay. <laughs> so Nathan, uh, he's a young entrepreneur. He's 29, maybe 30 years old. He's had a couple successful exits in SaaS. He is, uh, just this phenomenal mind and, and I've gotten to know Nathan. Um, uh, he would, he, he, he released a book um, about four months ago, maybe, and it was called How to Be a Capitalist Without Capital. That sounds good. And it is awesome. All it right. Is, it's on the Wall Street Journal. It's number three. Um, and and you, I just, I, I just ask everyone out there, like, I'm not saying this because I've become friends with Nathan. I say this because, honest to God, that book has has challenged so many things that I do. The thing that I that I pulled from that book more than anything is systems. It's all about systems, which I've always had that belief in. But now I am uh I'm documenting my systems and I'm testing systems and making tweaks and I'm tracking every single thing that I'm doing as I'm doing it. Um because I want to you know I always want to continuously get to develop myself. But I want to, you know, be able to do so without recreating the wheel time and time again. That's a great piece of advice. We've talked about systems on this show, and for you to have a book that helps them understand that, that's a great suggestion. Listen, we are we are over time, but it was worth it because I just love your energy. I love your passion. I love the insights. Man, you've been a killer guest. We're so glad that I could bring you to our listeners. For our listeners that want more, man, how do they continue the conversation? How do they get more of you? How do they get more of Revenue Path Group? And what's the ways that they can uh, connect to you? Yeah, absolutely. So obviously, you know, I'm on LinkedIn. Uh, just look me up at Darren Tomey. It's D-A-R-E-N-T-O-M-E-Y. Um, hook up with me there. You can send me, you know, an email um, uh, at darren.tomey at revenuepathgroup.com or uh, on my Gmail. I don't care. dtomey at gmail.com. Um, I'm on Twitter, uh, Darren Tomey, et cetera. So all your usual places, you're going to find me. Um, I love to connect and talk to anyone that wants to. Uh, as you can tell, uh, I get very passionate. Okay. This was awesome. He is the co-pilot of each individual success on his team. Uh, this is a guy that builds systems everywhere he goes. Uh, your, your work speaks for itself with the ridiculous numbers of IPOs and exits that you've been an architect of. Darren, so stoked to have you on our show. Thank you again for joining us and happy selling. Thanks, Rob. Continued success uh, to you, uh, not only on the, the podcast, but also for Exvoya. So uh, super impressed with, with the podcast and uh, your company. Thanks so much. Thanks, guys. Hey everyone, welcome to another So What portion of the Sales Leadership Podcast where we break down that interview and we ask ourselves, why did that conversation even matter? And getting Darren on the show was awesome. 
I love Darren's perspective. I love the dude. Um, his track record speaks for itself with, with you know, a large number of, of meaningful exits, including some IPOs uh, and some acquisitions to some pretty iconic com- com- uh, companies. My advice to you is, is go back and listen to this one again. Darren knows what he's talking about. It's why he's had some, some interesting accolades come his way recently. Um, but for me, this, this whole interview and his whole perspective boils down to how he looked at role. And I haven't talked about this much, but this is a really important part of like my perspective of sales leadership. There are four levers that you can pull that lead to performance improvements. And I don't care if it's anything that's performance related, business performance, personal performance, uh, athletic performance, anything. First is the aptitudes of those you hire. And that's their natural gifts that they're wired with. Would you rather have people that are more wired for sales or less? Obviously. Number two, their level of motivation. Now, my, my definition here is their willingness to do whatever it takes to win without cheating. Would you rather have higher motivated people or do you want to kick people in the butt every day? Third level, their level of skill. And my definition of skill is something that you can achieve proficiency in in six months or less. Certainly not world-class, certainly not uh, subject matter expert, but proficiency, six months or less. Uh, and the last one is role. And, and the definition there is, is their understanding of what their job is and what they're supposed to do in order to win. And when I work with leadership teams, I ask them, if you can only pull one lever, which one do you pull? Most of the time, people choose motivation or skill. And while all four are important, you can't fake motivate. That's why gamification is just not something that we need to be spending a lot of time on. Uh, we need to create environments where the motivated succeed and hire motivated people. Skills come as you may have observable moments and you watch people uh, do their job. And then you use coaching to know where to help people intentionally improve. But the thing that helps everyone and the thing that makes sales teams improve the fastest in the most immediate way is having role clarity. Can we have everyone understand what their role is? Because Role drives use of time, and role drives the tools that you use when you conduct those activities in use of time. Now, I'm not going to get into that too much. The same thing applies to leaders. So what is the role of a leader? And Darren nailed it. He crushed it. He, he talked about a number of things, three that stood out. Number one, action over words. I love that. you got to be eyeball to eyeball, knee, kneecap to kneecap, doing it with the team, uh, getting in the weeds, helping people figure out how to win. On the individual level, um, doers are greater than observers in this regard. Okay, I loved his action over words. Number two, this is one that you don't hear enough of. Always be developing, and not just developing people, but developing yourself. Uh, he talked about creating time to continue to grow yourself, your perspective, your approach, your strategic approach, your, your skills. It's not so much working on t- techniques or tactics. It's are you still growing and developing and and making how you lead uh, and, and, and how you do the job part of your strategic advantage. And then the last one was, the, of, of I think, most importance. Are you a co-pilot for each individual success? And throughout the whole interview, he talked about individualization. It's one of the hardest parts of the job. It's where sales leaders uh, fall short the most often is the ability to individualize the roadmap for each person. Uh, I love, love, love his approach, you know. The first one that, I, that comes to mind is, are we creating what's the value of a day for each person? Each person has different things they've got to do in order for them to win, different skills to develop, different activities and level of activities that need to be done in order to win. And forget about doing monthly reporting or weekly. He's like, man, do they understand the value of the day? Because if I understand the value of the day for me and in my uh, blueprint and in my recipe for success – that will fuel a lot of things. So don't expect them to do that, right? That's that's a little bit harder to do. You need to help them understand the value of the day. I, I thought that that was massively important. Second thing on co-piloting, um, build personal plans based on personal aspirations. You know, we've talked about this on the podcast. Quotas are set by companies. Goals are set by people. Super important. Are your people setting goals for themselves and are you helping them get there? This is not a group activity. This is not a team meeting. This is one of the reasons why one-on-one coaching is so important. Uh, if you are not prioritizing that, then you probably have things that you're leaving on the table. Your ability to get individuals 
going down their pathway that gets them to the top of their mountain will drive your success as a leader faster than anything else. And that takes me to number three. Um, really, are you individualizing um, not just what the plan is, but are you individualizing what you look at? I love how he started this. One of the first things he talked about, activity metrics are not as great as productivity metrics. And so he's looking at the productivity leading indicators more than the activity lagging indicators. And if you feel like you have to drive people, then either A, you got the wrong people, or B, you haven't tapped into their aspirations. Listen, there's a lot there. Go listen to this. Those things around role makes it obvious why Darren's had tons of success. You need to sit down and ask yourself, how am I executing on the role of the of the leader? Is my primary role about developing people? Because I loved when he said, managers manage activities, leaders develop people. Okay? Are you developing people? You know, that's when you create the happy factor. That's when you start having people not slide down that dinosaur tail at five o'clock where or six o'clock or whatever, and people are out of there. Uh, we re- have the responsibility for creating a culture with that strong, happy factor that he talked about. And to finish Darren's uh, perspective, great coaching creates great culture filled with that happy factor because people know that they're going places that matter to them and they have a co-pilot that's helping them get there. I hope you go back and listen to this. I hope this one fires you up. Darren, you crushed it. Thanks for joining us. To each of you, thanks for listening. Keep those ratings coming. Keep those requests coming. And as always, don't worry. Just execute because we got you. Thanks for joining us for the Sales Leadership Podcast, your weekly pipeline to the most successful thought leaders and rainmakers in sales. Make sure to check out additional episodes at salesleadershippodcast.com. The Sales Leadership Podcast is produced by Brian Jepson and is sponsored by Exploit, the modern sales leadership platform for Salesforce.com users. You can visit Exvoyant at exvoyant.com.